Well, it's time to uh, lock up the dogs and slip into something more comfortable because we're back with another episode of Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. I'm Steve Anderson. Sitting next to me in the studio, Larry Canning. Hello to you. Hello, Steve. Are we excited? We are excited. Why are we excited? Because it's it's coming up to another major. The US Open, Steve. And funnily enough, it's in America. <laughs> it's in the, in the US, yeah. Oh, don't start me on that one. <laughs> They've only got three of the four. We've got a yank, coming, we've got a yank coming on the, the program later on. We do. Who yep. We'll talk about it in a minute. But US Open week, so we'll preview the US Open. Uh, Larry, what else have we got going on? We're, go- we're going to talk to our favourite caddy today too. Uh, yeah, Dean Hurden, um, who just caddied uh, in the ladies' US Open, which was uh, very recently, Steve. And uh, we got him as he'd finished his last round. Uh, had some fascinating stuff to say, didn't he, about uh, about the golf course, about the tournament? Yeah. He's always got an opinion, Dean. He's good oh, for that. He has got an opinion. How good was the finish to that tournament? Though? Oh, extraordinary that uh, that she won. That Jutanagan finished up winning that because she had a seven-shot lead with nine holes to go and, and blew all seven of them, finished up tying and won in a playoff. It was uh, an extraordinary, gritty, gritty comeback, really, wasn't it, after what she'd gone through? But there, there were a couple of times in that playoff where she could have lost it yeah. altogether. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she could have close. lost it so many times she could have lost that, but... But just uh, just got it over the line. Um, interesting. Do you watching? Do you, do you watch her putt? Do you watch her pre-shot putting routine? Not closely. She um, she smiles. Yeah. She got some advice from a sports psychologist. To, so as she's lining up a putt from behind, seeing which way it, it, it uh, breaks, she takes a, a deep breath in and then smiles, sort of relaxes her face and walks in and and putts. And I find that fascinating. I, I'm going to do that. I don't know how long that smile will be on my face. The way I putt, it won't last for very long, Steve. I'm pretty sure that face will change just after I miss that putt. I'm looking forward to that. But Dean Hurden was there, so he noticed the smile on her face, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, Dean will tell us all about what it was uh, like at the uh, the end of the uh, the Women's US Open there and the tournament itself because he, he loves it. He really does. We're going to talk with the editor of Inside Golf, Richard Fellner. Now, Richard's been at us for weeks to get on the on the show, hasn't he? <laughs> no, he hasn't. Yes, he has, Larry. <laughs> he has not. He's my editor, Steve. I've got to be very careful what I say about Richard. Well, he's not or careful Rich, about what he, what he says. No, he, he loves an opinion. Yeah, Love. He's got some great opinions. He's a very, very passionate golfer. He's he, in the right industry. He, he actually, loves golf. He heard Mark Hayes on the last episode of Backspin. We had Mark Hayes from Golf Australia, their mm-hmm. uh, media manager, talking about a few things to do with golf in Australia at the moment. Richard Fellner heard it, and he got a bit hot under the collar, I think, didn't he? Yeah, he had some opinions on Mark's opinions, didn't he? I think they're all on a, on a similar team. You know, I was just going to say exactly that. These people are all interested in the best interests of golf of in the, Australia. The game of golf. I see what it needs to, what needs to be done. They have slightly different opinions on what needs to be done, um, like as of tomorrow sort of thing. But, but yeah, the general direction it's taking, I think it's healthy. I think it's, it's in good shape. Look, the thing is, backspin, we're here to find common ground for people. Yeah. Whatever we do, whether it's North Korea, South Korea, Korea we'll send Dean Hurden in, mm. Richard Fellner, Mark Hayes, we'll get those boys together and get them on the, the straight and narrow for the future of well, golf like in this country. United Nations type thing, isn't it? We are. You're sending like coffee on Insta. Yeah. Who's the new uh, guy uh, now? Uh, you, uh, who's the UN guy now? Uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to. We'll, we'll check that one out. But I was thinking more of Boutros, Boutros, Gowing, <laughs> going back that far. Um, now, what a pair of those! Ones. You've got a you've got a product of the week, which is from MGI, one of the one of the great names in electric golf buggies. It's been around a long time, Steve. MGI in Australia. Um, yes, it's a motorised golf buggy, um, and it's called the MGI Zip Series. The one we're looking at today is the Zip Navigator. How uh, good is this? I don't want to talk about it too much no, now, no. but how good does it look? Oh, it looks fantastic, doesn't it? Compact. 
Yeah. Put it in your pocket, Steve. We might get a photo of this up on our Facebook page. Weighed about as much as my lunch yesterday. Did. <laughs> before or after? Going in. Before or after? <laughs> oh, anyhow, God, I set myself up badly there. Anyhow, tip of the week. Slow play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not much of a fan of slow play, um, even though I've been guilty of it myself once or twice. Now, I've got a, a few tips on how to speed up play. Just sensible things, common sense things. I noticed in the latest edition of Inside Golf 2, there was a scientific study on slow play. I didn't get past the word scientific study, but anyhow, it is a, it's always a hot topic. It's a bane. And you're going to have a bit of a spit as well. Yeah. Yeah. What am I spitting about? I've forgotten that. I've got no, something to do with the US Open. Oh, the way the course is set up. Yeah, it's going to be another Aaron Hills, isn't it? Which is a Last nice week. segue into talking about the event for 2018. Uh, what are your thoughts? Shinnecock Hills, it's been a while since they played at Shinnecock Hills. I think um, 2004. Yep, yep. Retief Goosen. Um, yeah, look, it was a great event then, although it, they took it to the edge, as they say. In US, traditionally, US Open golf courses are the hardest course they'll play all year, the boys. Um, and last year at Erin Hills, they softened everything. They made the golf course crazy long, but they widened the fairways out 50 metres, cut a lot of the rough down, um, and it, the wind didn't kick up, and 16 under. Brooks Koepka shot last year, which is kind of it was pedestrian for me. I'd, I'd much rather see the... The boys straight up, a par really being a good score in a hole and a bogey not such a bad score. Whose decision is it to make those changes though? USGA. And for all intents and purposes, this golf course, Shinnecock Hills, was looking like being the same. Um, I did read recently where um, Ray Floyd, a respected golf um, well, professional player, well, won the US Open twice, uh, also a commentator, uh, did, did uh, contact the, the USGA and said, after he'd had a practice around there, and said, it's, it's, what are you doing? It's too wide. It's too, you know, it's set up too easily. You need to narrow it down and bring the character of the course back. And apparently they have. And this is only like the last few months. They've, they've narrowed it back down to, it's still about 40 metres, 35 to 40 metres wide fairways. The greens are bigger. And they've shaved the edges of the greens. Um, so they have tried to toughen them up, but they needed to do this stuff a long, long time ago. Because it'll be low, if the wind doesn't kick up, it'll be low scoring again. Do the players prefer that? Do they prefer that bit more of a challenge when they get there? I, I think it it opens the, it opens up uh, a lot of people that may not win it normally to, yeah. to have a chance of winning. Now, the, 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 the famous catch cry in US Open history, a comment was made by, I think it was Sandy Totem way, way back in the 70s. We're not trying to embarrass, but it was a, a big stink about, I think it was Wingfoot. Uh, way back then, and and it was um, his comment was, "We're not trying to embarrass the best players in the world. We're just trying to identify them." And and I believe that a, a really tough U.S. Open layout does identify them. And if you look at the winners over the years, there, there's some, you know, very rarely does someone come from the clouds and win a U.S. Open. All right. Speaking of which, it's fairly wide open. We we went to uh, one of the uh, the sports wagering websites, Betting Club, to have a look at the the sort of prices that they were were offering on the US Open, and um, you know it's pretty wide open. I think they had as as favourite uh, Rory McIlroy at ten dollars. Yeah, ten dollars is, is that's a, that's pretty high, isn't it, for a favourite for a US Open? I mean, there were days when we had Tiger back in the his glory days. He was like four and five to one, but we've it rarely had anyone. Um, not under 10 to 1 and here it is Rory 10 to 1 in favourite 11 to 1 Dustin Johnson Jordan Spieth 12s the, the predicted ones are there Ricky Fowler uh, who hasn't won a major and he's the he's the highest ranked player on this list that hasn't won a major is at $17 now he's due isn't he he's due well, for a he, major he, he went close at the Masters didn't he yes he did and he went very close at last year's US Open um, until he missed the cut I like the look <laughs> <laughs> now he was leading he was leading halfway through the second round I think and then, and then uh, had, a, had a meal 
out of shocker from there on. But yeah, he's he's in, he's been in contention a lot. Um, I, who do you like? I mean, it's, it's, I like the, I like the look of Tiger. Twenty one dollars for, for for value. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Um, well, he's been sniffing around. He has been sniffing. Since now, he, he's been back. I would have liked to have him to have won something before now to, to put him as one of the favourites for the US Open. He still hasn't regained that ability to, to get it over the line, has he? He's had a lot of chances and hasn't been, put, hasn't been able to put it away. Yeah, Made but he really does know mistakes. how to do it. Oh, he's definitely got, got <laughs> good form in the past, yes. Yeah. Only, only 14 of them. Good to see Adam Scott had to pre-qualify. Well, what about that? Isn't that extraordinary? Mm. Now, I... I always thought it, it, like he won the two thirteen Masters. Someone might be able to to email us and correct me on this. That's a five year exemption to into all majors. That was two thousand thirteen. I thought that started from the from the year two fourteen through, which would have put him into two eighteen. He would have been exempt, but, but apparently not. Obviously not. And he was sixty four in the world rankings, which is um, a bit disappointing, I suppose. For well, he, he as he said last year at the press conference, Steve, he was. He, he he's lost a he lost a lot of fire because of his, his second child and he kind of you know he's, he's how much money do you need in a bank to to before you can have a sleep in and not have to worry about practicing and he sort of was going through that but apparently he's keen again to play and um, it's interesting looking at that same list Steve the betting list he's at thirty four dollars now there's only what about fifteen blokes in front of him on that yeah. list and he pre qualified I'm sure there's never been a golf pro that's pre qualified for the U S Open that's been that highly ranked before the tournament starts. Nine Aussies in the field, uh, yep. other than Jason Day, uh, Adam Scott, seven other blokes playing. One of them is Lucas Herbert, and uh, good story Gee, there. He's a talent, isn't he? I watched him last year, Steve. He nearly could have won the Australian Open, could have won the New South Wales Open the week before. That played well again up in Queensland for the Australian PGA, finished sixth or seventh. Um, ha- yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a massive talent. Um, and he's just starting to learn how to control his golf ball more. He's one of the longest hitters you'll see. Uh, and, a, and, and an action that is, is kind of unique, um, very late, very late hitter, very, um, he down low, down cocks his wrists severely, a bit like a Sergio sort of golf swing. But he controls his golf ball beautifully. He can hit left to right, right to left, and his distance control has improved now. I, uh, he's, and he's only 22 years old. He, uh, he played um, the sectional at uh, Portland Golf Club in Oregon. And in the second round, so he shot 66-64 to qualify. But the second round, that 64, that's only one shot off the course record. He won that. He won that, uh, that qualifying section. Yeah. There. Well, but that course record held by Ben Hogan. Oh, was it? Was yeah. it? I didn't know that. So he was on track for a 63. I think he, a bogey, I can't remember which hole, but um, gee, that's impressive. But he's also qualified for, for the British Open as well. Yeah, yeah, through, through the Australian Open. So keep an eye on Lucas Herbert as well, one of the, uh, the nine Aussies taking part in the US Open this week. So your tip... Uh, my tip, um, Steve, and, and I, I'm a bit wary. We did talk about this, Larry. You're, know, you're sounding yeah, like you. Yeah, I know. And I, I've changed my mind even in that, in that, 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 right, that time. That's all right. That you're allowed to change your mind. I, I like Jason Day now. All right. Seventeen dollars. Like yeah. Two winners. And what about a roughie? Someone, someone. Yeah, Alex. No, Alex Noren is going to win something big. All right. Alex Noren, the uh, the Swede. Oh no, he's not Swede, is he? Where's he from, Stephen? Uh, no, that's a good question. Well, Lance, I thought he was Swedish, Alex Norris. He could be. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking I'm, I'm, of... I think the, he, oh, yes, oh, he is he Swedish. Is. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Thomas Peters and Gee, now you're getting Nicholas us all Colsarts, confused, Larry. The Belgian t- pair. Might no. be time for you to have a bit of a lie down before <laughs> we come back with some more of uh, Backspin. This is Backspin. More in a moment. Thanks to Inside Golf. 
Well, Larry, last time we spoke to this bloke, he was easing diplomatic tensions between North and South Korea, and he was <laughs> heading off to the dry cleaners to pick up his caddy overall straight after. <laughs> this time around, uh, as we speak to him, he's just finished up at the Women's US Open at uh, the Shoal Creek Golf and Country Club in Alabama, and it was an event won in a pretty eventful fashion by Thailand's Arya Jutanagan. Um, he carried the bag. Dean carried the bag for Korean golfer Jin Young Ko during this event. And it's fair to say, isn't it, Larry, that he's one of the most respected caddies in world golf. We speak, of course, of Dean Hurden, and he's on the line all the way from uh, the deep south of America. G'day, Dean. Oh, g'day, Steve. G'day, Larry. G'day, Dean. Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, good. Gee, are, you, are, you, are you tired? You must be exhausted, mate. It looked pretty hot on TV. Mate, I've never done so much sweating since I was last in Singapore, I think, but uh, no, it's a pretty humid place, right, this time of year it's just hot and hot and humid, and uh, there wasn't much of, there wasn't much of a breeze out there at all for three days, and they had a big rain, uh, downfall of rain, uh, what was it, Friday, I'm trying to remember the days now, Friday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, then the sun came out and it just became a sauna. It's, uh, it was a fascinating week, for, for particularly if you're an Australian fan, Dean, and uh, watching Sarah Jane Smith um, at one stage with a six-shot lead during the second round, actually towards the end of the second round. Um, unfortunately, mm. had a disappointing weekend, 74-78 on the weekend, to finish still still uh, still fifth, which is terrific, but I know she's be disappointed with that. But um, you've, you've watched Sarah Jane's career a little bit over the years, I'd imagine. You've, you've seen her improving. She's having a couple of good years. Yes. Yeah, what's your take on, on how she played this week? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, she actually uh, had a set of golf clubs. Uh, I spoke to her a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about getting rid of her uh, set of golf clubs that she had this year and re- getting really frustrated. She did that two weeks ago and uh, um, it's been instant, uh, I mean, uh, mm. instant change straight away. And uh, over, overall, Sarah has been a, a struggling player on tour. Um, she's gone through uh, quite a few golf coaches and swing changes and stuff. And and um, you know, God bless Dwayne. I mean, her husband. He's just been he's stuck right alongside her for the last you know six seven years, right alongside her every week, and trying to work out um, some sort of game plan. And um, you know, she's just been a, a journey woman uh, playing the LPGA tour over here, and, and and having a probably a couple of top ten finishes here and there. But this week, she would have got a lot out of it. I know she had a bad weekend, but uh, um, I think she handled things quite well. It's a, it was people don't realise that. It, um, this course setting this morning uh, for the last round, they, I don't know what the USJ were thinking, but the, the golf course became dramatically long all of a sudden. And um, it, it obviously didn't, um, it wasn't in favour of Sarah Jane, poor, um, and more like a player like Aria, um, who is a, is a long hitter. Mm. She certainly is that. What about the course, other than the, the settings for today? What are your thoughts <coughs> on Shoal Creek? Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't, it didn't play its true. It, it was a mud pit, basically, for the four days. Uh, we had so much rain on Monday, Tuesday. Um, the problem being is, uh, you know, they, they <laughs> I've got to be honest with you, the USGA did something a little bit silly, I thought, by not allowing us to uh, lift, lift, place and clean. Um, it needed to be done that, uh, done that because we're getting so many mud balls. That stunned me to see that. Yeah, I saw, uh, I think it mm. was... Um, I think it was. I think one of Benaria's second shot to the 18th. Um, I think during one of the playoff holes, or, or towards mm-hmm. the end, anyway. And you could see the mud was just sticking all over the thing. And, I'm, and, and she uh-huh. had to actually, she had to actually play safe to the centre of the green because of the lie she had in the middle of the fairway. It was it was ludicrous. Thought, Why aren't they doing lift place and, and clean? Well, at least the first two days. It was. I mean, the last two days, uh, yesterday and today, it was it was quite. You know, you weren't getting it as much. But the first two days were actually worse. And uh, 
I was really surprised. It's not so much the iron shots, and a lot of people, you know, pros complain because mud ball and, you know, flies left and right and whatever. But the problem was you get a situation where a, you hit a shot into a green and it releases out probably just a, a maybe, a, a you know, just on the fringe. It releases out. It's off the green. Um, you've got the choice to putt or chip, mm. but you've got this big plug of yeah, mud yeah. on the side of your ball and you can't putt it. So you have to chip it. And uh, there was three or four situations I know with uh, Jin Young uh, over the last two days that that uh, basically we were in that situation where we, we had no choice. We had to chip it because putting it, the ball would have been doing U-turns on the green. Um, Dean, the, the Women's US Open now, it's, it's, it's billed. Um, and usually by Americans because they love they love to build themselves <laughs> as the world as the best event in the world. Now you've caddied in all the events. You've you've actually been on the bag uh, twice on a winning bag twice in the US Open before. Is it the best women's golf tournament in the world? Uh, good, great question. I, I don't think the field the field strength's not as strong um, to qualify for the tournament. I think there's too many qualifiers that yeah. go on around the, the country. I think it's. Uh, yeah, to be honest with you, direct to the point, they go to, I think it's a bit of a money-making scheme on the side of the USGA that they, they stick all these qualifyings all around the United States. And um, and also, they'll, they'll, they'll actually put qualifiers on where the pros actually can't make that qualifying tournament because their schedule is so tight that it doesn't fit very well. So um, it, it, some of the LPGA players are kind of limited to qualify for the event. I um, Basically, the field strength's not that, not that strong. Um, I would say it's probably 80% stronger than what we play week in, week out on the LPGA. Um, and But it's a full field side. But uh, there's a lot of amateurs in the field. Um, but you could, uh, as far as finding a winner uh, in the tournament, you'll always find an LPGA player will win the tournament. But then you might get the occasional amateur pop the head up. But the field strength is probably the top 50 are always there. But after that, that's it. You know, it's, it's a mixture of players that had to qualify and had a good day what would on you the say, Monday qualifying. What would you say is a better time? The British Open, is that the, 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 in your opinion, the best? Uh, British, we've got KPMG. Um, over the last two years, three years, uh, KPMG tournament has been a really strong strong event and it's, it, and it's basically the top 100 uh, off the uh, the world uh, the Rolex ranking. And uh, there's your strongest field, I think, right there. It's, it's pretty much what the PGA of America did with the men's some 20 years ago. They they just made it one, the top one hundred off their uh, you know the Sony opens uh, the Sony the Sony rankings. Yep, yep. So and that PGA now if if you talk to a lot of pros you now on the uh, PGA tour they said you know the PGA championships probably one of the strongest fields now okay. along with the TPC you know right so yeah yeah that's exactly in our situation too the women's is uh, exactly the same KPMG now is run by the PGA of America and um, they're, they're they're just focusing strictly on the Rolex rankings so yeah it's a strong field. Uh, Dean, let's talk quickly about uh, your your girl at the moment, Jin Youngko. Your 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 mm. um, what do you call that? Your boss? She your boss? Yeah, it's my boss, I guess. Yeah, your boss. Yeah, <laughs> she's my boss. The Australian <laughs> Open winner, as you, as you know, we spoke to you earlier in the year when she won the Australian mm. Open. Um, mm. Her year so far, from from after winning the Australian Open, back to Korea was it mainly? And has she played much on the American tour? Yeah, yeah, she has played. Yeah, finished uh, second to Moria. Jude Tanagan, who won the uh, the LA tournament, the LA Open, oh, uh, yes. which was the um, uh, yeah the tournament, what just about three or four weeks ago, um, we were so close to getting into a playoff with her. We just finished a shot behind. Uh, we finished tied second with Imbi. Um, so we've gone Australian Open first. Uh, Singapore, I think, was fifth. Uh, Thailand was fifth. Uh, Singapore was sixth position, and then uh, next best was after that finishing second in LA. So she's probably at the moment money ranked. Top ten, so mm-hmm. we're poking along quite well. So uh, you know, her expectations 
were pretty high. She's a decent player off the KLPGA Tour, but I don't think she was kind of expecting where she would be now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's happened pretty quick. How old is she? 23, just turned, yeah. Okay. What about the event itself, Dean? Is there a buzz around it um, in the USA? Or, I mean, you know, the, the prelude to the, the men's open, which is coming up at, mm-hmm. at Shinnecock Hills, uh, big buzz around that, obviously, each and every year as one of the majors. But, but what about the women's? Well, what sort of a feeling is there around the, the place? Oh, yeah, this, this week was okay. I, I, one of the most, yeah, this week I could, uh, because of the weather, it just it put a literally put a damper on things but um it, it, it held back a lot of the crowd um they still had a good turnout here this yeah. week um you know so but but it was i i felt the venue wasn't really that great here at shoal creek and, and i just felt um usga did a pretty poor job in, in actual uh player services and all that it was really difficult for a play if you notice the playoff they, the girls had to basically walk 170 meters up past the clubhouse to go and do their scorecard and I mean, um, it was it was every player complained about it all week this week. It was really tough. But the USGA, I think they've really got to wake up and really start focusing on player, um, you know, the, the player, you know, the player services at the other golf event, and it, it really puts a damper on the tournament. But getting back on the US Open women's, it, I don't I don't find it. If the USGA are missing out on things. They, it's almost like they spend so much money on the US Open men's. Yeah. They tried to make up their money at the US Open women's, you know, and uh, obviously I don't know what their TV contract was with was Fox a few years ago back in 2015, but I find that they're actually trying to make recoup money now from the women's, not yeah. to spend so much on the on the uh, now the grandstands and the and the infrastructure, and they're trying to make up what they spend on the men's. For, for the listeners' sake, Dean, the, the USGA run the US Open, uh, both men's and women's. Most tournaments on mm-hmm. that tour are, one, are run by the PGA, aren't they? So this is a, we, every time we have a, an open tournament, uh, we often talk about the, the differences between a normal tour event and what can happen in an open event because it's run by totally different people, isn't it? Correct, yeah, correct. Now, they're actually coordinating with each other because I know the USGA, but they need the players there and they're all LPGA members and I noticed this week there was LPGA representation there in the rules officials and also a couple of the admin people but um, yeah I, yeah I just I, I sometimes get a little frustrated when I, at the USGA events because I just, I've been to quite a few men's US Opens and uh, I just find that you know it's, and it's a big it's a massive circus I mean it's it's huge and uh, but I just find that yeah, they're actually trying to uh, save a lot of their money when they when the women's uh, turn up, which is a kind of a shame because I think honestly speaking, uh, the USGA are not aware of what the women, how strongly the women promote golf in mm-hmm. Asia, mm-hmm. and they should respect that. And I think that uh, with the, you know if, they, if if a few of the USGA members went over to Asia and realised how popular these girls were, yep. I think that it would step up their. Uh, they turn the volume up on um, on how they run the events here. That's a great point, Steve, isn't it? Well, how do you how do you make it happen though, Dean? I mean, if there's no wherewithal on their their behalf <laughs> to do that, how how do you possibly make it, it happen? Again, no disrespect to the Amer- the Americans, but it's another example of, of how inward looking golf seems to be in that country. Correct, correct, uh, and they've just got to, what they've basically got to do. I think that well, I noticed uh, with the um, a couple of the USGA officials came to. Uh, a couple of LPGA events, you know, just a couple of weeks before, and they were only just down the road from their office, so it wasn't a big deal. But I really feel that they should go and do some uh, fact-finding missions and uh, go and check out Asia and, and just find out how 
super uh, popular these girls are. Yeah. Listen, that's something you might be able to work on after you and Trump have fixed up the North Korea situation. I mean, hear, me, <laughs> hear me, I put you first and Donald Trump second there. After you've done your work on that, then you can work on uh, golf in uh, women's golf in America and getting them around the world. You, you should just hire a jet, charge it to them, you know. Put them all on the plane, (laughs) take them over to Asia for a while, and say, have a look at at this. You're not going home until you take notice. (laughs) Yeah. What do you reckon, Larry? Yeah, I agree, uh, Dean, and, um, and and don't wear uh, overalls, mate. Whenever you're doing that sort of diplomatic stuff, just in case. <laughs> why, why do you keep? You always keep bringing that up all the time. Well, you brought it up, mate. It's your fault, <laughs> Dean. Dean, we bring it up. Sorry, you did now, aren't you? We bring it up because it's one of the greatest stories in golf, <laughs> <laughs> mate. I've just, I've just, I've just finished. I've just finished. Uh, Stop going to the psychologist a couple of months. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you go and rehydrate yourself. Thank you for your time once again. And uh, we'll catch up with you again in the very near future. Oh, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Larry. Great talking to you always. Good on you, Dean. Thanks, mate. This is Backspin More in a moment. Thanks to Inside Golf. This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. I'm Steve Anderson. Larry Canning's here with me. And he's pretty excited because uh, he loves a new electric golf buggy, don't you, Larry? Well, Steve, apparently there's, uh, there's, there's, there's another way to play around a golf without sitting in a golf cart, as you and I always do. You can walk it. Yeah. I've seen people doing it. That's and good. It, it, and, I enjoy the walk. Okay, sometimes walking to the cart. That's 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 fine. But um, if you decide to walk, Steve, and it's it's much healthier. And let, let's uh, yeah. let's say it is the the way you should do it if you can. Um, one of the best ways to do it is to have a motorized golf buggy that just walks beside you. Remote control electric buggy. Now there were there were times in the past where these things were ludicrously expensive. They were great, um, but I believe now the cost has come right down. Um, to compare to what it was way back in the eighties and nineties when I was trying to sell them, and they were pretty bulky too. And they were they? big, heavy things, and and yeah, usually the members used to leave them in the pro shop because they couldn't be bothered putting them in and out of their car. But MGI fixed that, Steve, haven't they? Oh, how good does this look? We'll, we'll put a photo of this on, on our Facebook yeah. page. Yep, you can go and have a look. But this is the MGI Navigator, and it's a fantastic looking piece of gear. Part of the Zip series, there. There's a few of these models in this, but we're looking at the Navigator today. Um, now, the, the the thing that struck me when I first saw this was it was how compact it is, mate. When you fold it down, you can. It is tiny, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and and it's and it, how many kilos did you oh, say it was? It's about a bit over twelve kilos. Yeah, it's a bag of Not potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, and a lithium battery in it. Um, so you can just you know it, it takes and there's two only two points where you have to fold. So you can you can just it takes minutes seconds yeah. to put it into your car and, and and men women any age can lift and put them in the car. You can so, take the wheels off too if you you can leave them on if you want, but if you need to take them off, they're quick release wheels as well. So easy on, easy off. Good juicy looking wheels too. Off off wheel drivers, Steve. Yeah, and it's got all sorts of features. One of the uh, the the hilarious things about a game of golf when in the past when people have had electric golf buggies is when they develop a mind of their own. You know, <laughs> some of them can be a bit like the computer on two thousand. And won a space odyssey <laughs> and just go off and do their own thing. Usually, you know? usually towards it's, the water it's hazard. It's funny to watch, yeah, towards yeah. the water hazard, yep. down a steep hill or mm. whatever. But MGI have thought of these sorts of things. It's got a, a downhill speed controller yep. on it. Yep. So if you get on a bit of a slope, the buggy won't take off. Mm. Yes. Right. Yeah, no, it won't. Um, and you can control the speed with the, with the remote, as I said, in your pocket. Um, and and it's, this, is, this, is, uh, this particular model um, has. Um, st- one of the features it has, Steve, is that it it it. Um, I'm trying to find it on my bit of paper here. 
There's a, something about the steering. It just keeps going nice and straight. Let me, even, even if it's a, if it's let a me side fill in hill the gaps wide. for you. It has a, a what's called the gyroscope straight tracker. Oh, my God, I get excited when you talk like that. It's technology that keeps it on track. Say it again, say it again. The, the gyroscope straight tracker. Oh, so if it gets a bit bumpy and a bit rough, it's not going to go off this way or mm. that way. It's going to keep it on the straight and narrow. Like it. So what that means is you don't have to worry about it. You know, you're not, you are not. You can kind of concentrate on your next shot. You don't have to be thinking, oh, maybe the buggy's going to be over there in the lake mm-hmm. or down the hill or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, if, no. it's a, if it's on a side hill, it, it keeps going straight. It's going to be right next to you like, camber a, down the side. like a faithful little puppy. It'll be yeah. right oh, there next to you, <laughs> wagging its little tail. <laughs> it's and tiny little tail. Little ears flapping in the breeze. Oh, it's cute. The MGI Navigator. Yeah, it's a ripper, Stephen, and I'm, I definitely am looking for one of these. I'm going to buy one of these, I think. And um, and then give it to someone because I'm still going to get in my golf cart and we'll drive around. <laughs> no, we've got to get MGI. Send us one so we can have a crack. Yeah, at let's it. have a crack. It's terrific. Where's it available? Everywhere? Yeah, pretty well everywhere, Steve. MGI is a massive company, as I said. It's one of the most respected, if not the most respected, uh, motorised golf buggy company in the country. Um, this this product that we're talking about, Steve, is, is less than two. That's one nine nine nine. Um, on the road, as they say, as I said, we were we were paying three thousand back in you know ten or fifteen twenty years ago for the same thing. This is a fantastically priced product. Yeah, check it out. Have a have a look at it. Go to uh, the website, which is uh, mgigolf.com. So www.mgigolf.com. Check out the MGI Navigator. Great bit of gear. Yeah, fantastic zip navigator. This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. We'll be back with more in a moment. In the last backspin, we spoke with Golf Australia's media manager, Mark Hayes, and we, we talked a bit about the Australian tour, particularly the Australian Open, and what an outstanding event it is at the moment. But we also spoke about golf at the grassroots level as well. And let's face it, in many areas, there is room for improvement, particularly if the game is to survive and flourish into the future. Now, Mark Hayes spoke about a number of ways that Golf Australia is endeavouring to help clubs. But the question remains, are they doing enough? As in, is Golf Australia doing enough? And the golf clubs themselves, are they adapting for the future? Or many of them stuck in the past and therefore threatening their own futures as well? Uh, But not only threatening their own futures, but also threatening the future of the game in Australia too. One person who has an opinion or 25 on these subjects is the editor of Inside Golf, the home of Backspin, Richard Fellner. G'day, Richard. G'day, how are we? G'day, Richard. How are you, mate? You good? I'm doing very well. I'm uh, just enjoying this wonderful Melbourne weather, zero degrees. Oh, is it really? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) It's nice and cold. Listen, uh, Richard, you heard what Mark Hayes had to say in the last uh, episode of Backspin. Any thoughts? Well, uh, yeah, look, uh, Golf Australia, you know, I I do think they're they're doing a, a pretty good job now about, you know, trying to get more people to play more golf and trying to get women and juniors and things like that into the game, because as we all know, that's the future of golf. It's not, you know, in the 40-something-year-old males. It's, you know, it's the women and, and the juniors. So I think they are, um, they are pushing things hard now. I think maybe in the past they probably haven't been as strong as they should have been. Uh, and golf, especially in Australia, may have suffered as a result. But at least they're getting on the front foot now and, and trying to push it. So, you know, I've, I've been very... Um, uh, angry and fired up over them in the past. And, you know, I just hope that the stuff that they're doing now uh, will start to uh, see some good results, and I hope that they do follow through with it. We see, I, I've seen, Richard, a lot of development 
in the, the elite player level, you know, the, the getting the guys overseas and the girls overseas and competing. The Minji Lee went through the, the, the Australian golf um, program that, that develops juniors, and, and, and it's a fantastic system. But I, have a, I sense that there's the, the, the grassroots of the game are being slightly, not neglected, but um, I think the elite level is taking uh, much too much priority um, for, the, for Golf Australia. Do you agree with that? Well, uh, look, I do. I think that um, they do pump a tremendous amount of money and energy and time into elite golf. And on the surface, it may seem, well, okay, now the clubs are are kind of missing out on that. But I think what the reality is, is that, and I had a long chat with Stephen Pitt about this uh, a couple of months ago. And what it boils down to is that uh, golf, like any sport, is um, kind of being held hostage in a way by government money. And the government will generally only put money into sports that have Olympic um, Olympic tie-ins. So now that golf has is in the Olympics, we can actually get a little bit more money towards it. But a lot of times we get the money, and it has to go to uh, promoting golfers that will eventually get to the Olympics, and thus the um, the elite athlete program, the elite golfer program, high performance. Um, has to take the lion's share of money uh, in order for us to even get the money in the first place. So um, Stephen was, you know, he's very clear and he, and he understood, you know, how it may seem that they're getting, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of money for elite athletes. But I think that's just the reality that we're living in today, unfortunately. If you were the CEO of Golf Australia, if you were Stephen Pitt, what would you be doing that they're not? What would you be suggesting that, that, to do that they're not doing at the moment? Well, I think I would be pushing uh, juniors and women uh, twice as hard, maybe three times as hard, trying to get them into the game. Are there, are there ideas that, you would, that you've got to do that? Absolutely. I, I would think the very first thing I would do is uh, try to get a school program, you know, get into schools. Uh, my, I've got twin 15-year-old boys, and they get pelted with, uh, you know, cricket and AFL and soccer and every sport under the sun except golf. Uh, golf has only been... Uh, introduced to them one semester in their whole school career so far, and that was because um, one of the PE teachers happened to be a golfer, and he thought, well, hey, let's just try it because it's the kind of sport that anybody can play. You don't have to be a, you know, a sporty person. You just have to you know, go out and give it a go. And it was you know, pretty successful at the, at the school. I mean, a lot of the students really liked it. But other than that, we don't get any flyers, notices, nothing. Uh, that relates to golf. So the first thing I would do is get some kind of, you know, interschool program going and just start dumping, you know, money and effort into that. And if that means going to local courses and clubs in, you know, neighborhoods and having the PGA Pro stop by and, you know, give some kind of demonstration or, you know, have something, um, you know, that's that's where I would go. Um, You know, I grew up in the U.S. where we had, you know, these, these great programs where you'd pay $50 and you'd get unlimited golf for the year after school. And we had these tournaments, you know, every Saturday or every Sunday. And, you know, you just, you worked really hard and it kept us out of trouble for one, but it was also a great introduction into the game. And there's really not much like that out here for I've seen it. I've seen it done by a golf pro um, who who went to my wife's a school teacher, and the golf pro set up the program at her school for I think they were probably year five, year six thereabouts. Mm. 
and yeah. it, but he did it all off his own bat. He had a pro shop to run, so this was sort of extracurricular to what the way that he was making his living, and and therefore you know it was costing him money to do. He was probably making a little bit. The kids paid a little fee to be part of it. But the thing is, I actually saw it in in action one day, and those kids were having an absolute ball. That's the other side of it: is that golf is a fun game. Absolutely. And, you know, it just goes to show that that kind of thing can work if you just put some effort into it. So, you know, I think that, you know, that's one step that we've got to work on. I think, you know, we need to, for the women, you know, the women can feel intimidated. Um, You know, a lot of times they they don't want people to see them play. You know, like a lot of times I'll see a woman out on the course and she'll be just like, oh, can you just play through? You know, and you can tell that she's embarrassed. And I think we need to address that kind of thing. We need to get get more club members and just regular golfers out there to just understand, you know, that, that women are the future of the game and we have to embrace them and we have to, you know, bring them into the game, make them feel welcome. And even if they only want to go out and play nine holes and then just have a drink with their, with their friends, their girlfriends and all that, you know, that's fine, but we just have to, to welcome them. And Golf Australia can definitely... Um, you know, do some more in that regard. We all know that each and every golf club in Australia has very distinct culture. No two are exactly the same, but there are commonalities in the culture of each golf club that can sometimes stand in the way of the future of, number one, the club, and as I said in the introduction, the future of the game. How do you get around those things? Well, that's a whole thing. Club culture is a very difficult uh, beast. Um, you know, I've, I've been a member at a, at a few clubs, and obviously I've visited a, a very, very uh, large number of clubs. And one thing that's consistent throughout most of them is the club culture um, dictates what, you know, how welcome people can feel. And right now we have to look at the majority of, you know, club members at private clubs are, you know, the slightly elderly group. They're retired. They've, you know, got a lot of time and this and that. Um, but a lot of them live that kind of old school mentality of, you know, this is the boys club, you know, no women and, and uh, children allowed kind of thing, which is a, it's a bit of a barrier for entry. Um, the other problem that we have with committees and boards, uh, especially at some of the smaller clubs, is that they're filled with people that, um, you know, may not be qualified to be in that position. So you'll have, you know, a, a board and, you know, it's collected from, from members and people of the local community. And they may have run small businesses. They have, you know, they may have some experience. But when you're running a, a big uh, business like a golf course, you may not really have the qualifications for it. It can actually cause problems. Um, and you can have committees. You know, someone will join the committee just because they want to get the good car park up front or just because there's this one bunker on say the seventh hole that they've always hated and they want to fill it up so they have these ulterior motives and once that's done you know they they start to feel they have power and when people have power like that you know maybe they stop becoming a servant to the club which is what they're supposed to be it's so important that you get the right people in the committee and on the board that can make the right decisions and, and welcome juniors and, and do all those things that we've been talking about. And that's a tough one. <laughs> Look, it, it's one of the toughest toughest things that I've seen. I mean, you know, anytime you get a group of people in, in a room, like in a committee, there's, you know, a, a lot of different opinions at play. Um, the classic story that I've heard is that, you know, there's a small country golf club, and one of the uh, people that was on the member used to be in the military, and he was in charge of, 
you know, millions of dollars of equipment and thousands of personnel. And he was like this really big wig in the military. And he's on the board of this little tiny little country club. And he had to quit from the committee because he couldn't stand arguing with people over the type of toilet paper that they would put in the loop. <laughs> and this would go on and on. And it's just a little minutiae of stuff that, you know, people dig in their heels and it's, you know, it's all for all the wrong reasons. So it's no, it, it's not easy. And, you know, that's one of the challenges that, that golf is facing. And maybe it's time for, for some people. And I'm, I mean, we're generalizing here. We're talking about instances, but they, they can, you know, they can occur oh, in a number we've, of we've clubs all, seen them, all over the place. And there are clubs out there doing great things, no doubt about Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. Let's not forget the, the really good decisions that are being made at golf clubs. But like Richard says, it, 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 there's a culture there. Yeah. And we, we spoke to Hazy, Mark Hayes from Golf Australia last week, last time. Um, it, there's such emotion is such passion. Uh, I mean, these members have possibly been members for 30 years, and it is their life. It is their world. Their golf club is their world. And and when you start suggesting that to, to some of these guys that you, you've got to t- change everything to, to sustain this, keep this club going, to sustain it, um, you can see that they, that's going to hurt them. You know, they're not going to be happy with being told by someone who's just coming in, look, you know, the future of the club lies in, in a lot of areas, but you're not addressing them. Yeah. Um, which has to be done, doesn't it? Really, I mean, for for clubs not to get in the gurgler, Richard, it has to be done, doesn't it? Someone's got to do it. Exactly right, and unfortunately for a lot of clubs, it might even be too late now because you know you got to be looking ten, fifteen years down the road and seeing you know what the club's going to look like then. Mm. You know, if you start looking just a year down the line or or months down the line, um, it's too late. And we've seen so many clubs shutting up shop, you know, down here in Melbourne and both throughout Australia. Because they, they're not getting the members. And the reason they're not getting it, the members is, you know, many reasons. Maybe the course is too tough or maybe they're not welcoming the right people or, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, even things like barrier to entry. I mean, I can't believe that in this day and age we get golf clubs that still require you to fill out this long nomination process, know five people at the club, you know, which a lot, someone who's new <laughs> to an area, mm. they don't know anybody at the club, but they might be the perfect person to join the club. So you got to know people, and then you got to meet the board, and you got to meet the the president, the captain, and fill it, you know pay you know thousands of dollars to to join all that kind of stuff. It's all barriers to entry, and we got to drop these. We got to stop saying no to golfers. We got to start saying yes. You know, yes, you can do that. Yes, you can wear a shirt that doesn't have a collar on it when you come out and play. And you know, yes, you don't have to wear bright white socks and you know these kinds of things. We need to we need to just open it up and, and make it welcome because you know the kids, especially when they go out to cricket, you know they can wear whatever they want when they're they're playing footy. You know, they throw the jumper on, but the rest of it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, and it's the same these days. Like I've, I, you know, another perfect example is I was at a sandbelt club. Um, a while back, and I had a meeting with somebody, and he was late, so I'm sitting in the clubhouse, and I just quietly pull out my phone to check my email, and someone came up to me and said, uh, you know, sorry, you can't have your phone yeah. on in here, and I'm like, are you kidding? I'm just checking my email. They're like, no, no, you got to go over into that room over there, which was, you know, used to be the smoking room, and now it's the <laughs> multimedia room, and... I, you know, I could argue that I was making less noise on my phone than the guy who was on the table next to me with his newspaper that was crinkling around. Yet, you know, it was like another barrier saying, no, you can't do this. Mm. Um, and like you said, some clubs are great, you know, that they do allow that and they, you know, they're, they're you know, welcoming people and doing some great things out there. And what clubs need to do these days is look at those good clubs as an example 
to get ideas. Yeah, maybe uh, a, a time for self-reflection, whether it's uh, as a committee or whether it's as an individual on that committee. Why are you there and what are those reasons doing for the future? Your reasons for being here, what are they doing for, number one, the club, and number two, and more importantly, the future of the club? So perhaps if, if we can get committee people thinking that way, then, you know, it might more, be... well More, more committee thinking, people. There are, yeah, they're, they're, they're there definitely are, there. Oh, yeah, exactly. As I said before, we generalise, but, 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 it, but it might be the impetus if, if there's a bit more reflection on exactly why they're there. Um, it might be the impetus for a bit of change in the future. You can hope anyway, can't you? Well, you can always hope, <laughs> you know, and I think, um, you know, Golf Australia recently launched this uh, golf club portal uh, thing that has... Um, you know, a lot of instruction and little online modules and things like that. Yep. I, I haven't taken the whole thing, but I did look at it, and it seemed to have some really good advice, you know, along those lines about, you know, um, you know, doing the right thing by your club and, you know, and, you know, course setup. You know, you don't have to set up your course to be Augusta National or U.S. Open. You know, you, you have to just make it, you know, welcoming and fun, you know, which is a whole other topic that, that uh, you and I have discussed in the past, Larry. Richard, you and I have definitely discussed that, and, and thank God you, 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 you saw my point because I was being harassed by greenkeepers all over Australia. In fact, I was a witness <laughs> protection for a number of years. My family and I had to hide away. Um, yeah. Every time I see a gang marrow, I dive into a bunker. I get really frightened still to this day, but uh, you, you, you backed me to the hilt with that, and I'm really, I, I will never stop appreciating that from you, mate. You're, in fact, I think I love you, Richard. Well, I've always got your back, big boy. I think we, we need a moment. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> we'll just go into another room for a while, leave you two alone. And you and I in the smoking room. Hey, Richard, I'll see you there. Here, we, can't, we can't have the editor of Inside Golf on backspin without uh, getting your tip for the US Open, can we, Larry? No, absolutely not. Uh, and an American, have you seen this golf course? Have you been to, to this golf uh, course, the, the Shinnecock? Have you been there, Richard? No, I have not been there. Um, and from what I've on TV over the years and chatted with people. I mean, it you know it doesn't have the best reputation for being an easy course. Mm. Um, and you know this goes to the the USGA. You know they're wringing their hands maniacally, thinking, twirling that mustache. That's exactly right. But you know Shinnecock was so tough, and I think about the last time it was played, it was like almost just unplayable. Yeah, yeah. When Retief Goosen won. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Routine who? <laughs> but, um, and that's a long you know, time I, ago. I mean, that's that 14 a, years ago. Yeah. It was, it was a right. while ago, yeah. And I think that, you know, what it comes down to, when you've got a super difficult course like this, it comes down to ball striking uh, more than anything. And I, I don't know what they're going to do about the greens. They have said, yeah, I think Mike Davis said recently, yeah, we've, we've learned from the mistake. Or, you know, he basically said, yeah, we were wrong last time. So I think they're going to try to soften it a bit. Um, but, you know, the thing with, the U.S. Open, and really any major, it can come down to anybody. You know, whoever just puts four good rounds together, and and I've known, you know, I've stopped making predictions because I'm just wrong. I, I have always been so wrong. I will make a pick, you know, I'll say someone like Rory McIlroy, and he'll miss the cut. He'll be the last. So, you know, for me to try to make a tip for that, it's going to be tough. Um, um, you know, it's, it's just going to be whoever can you know, pull it together and, and have a really good solid solid week because it's it's not going to be easy. So you're not going you're not going to commit. I'm, I look. I, I just I will just be wrong. You just know, a, is this an American without an opinion on 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 the U.S. Open? My God, Richard, what are you doing? <laughs> well, look. Okay, if, if I had to pick someone, 
you know, I'll say, you know, maybe DJ, because if he's, if he's got Dustin position, Johnson. Um, I would say, uh, you know, I'm not going to go down the Tiger route because he's very up and down. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, but I have a feeling it would be, it'll be someone like a Brooks Kepka or it's yeah. going to be, you know, someone along those. There's a lot of really good players out there. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, who can be, but that's, that's about as much as I'm going to commit, okay. you know. Sorry. Okay. We'll give you two. Kepka and Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Richard, thank you for your time, mate. No doubt we'll catch up with you again very soon. This has been good getting you on. You know, all you oh, do yeah. is you write all those words of wisdom all the time in Inside Golf, but it's it's good to hear the spoken voice, and I'm sure the people who who read you every month will be going, oh, that's what he sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, and no, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to do um, things like this. It's, uh, it's a bit of a change. I mean, I became a writer so that I wouldn't have to do interviews <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> but, you know, Larry, as is, is, you know, you know, I've got a face for radio. Like you, do. <laughs> you know, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. What but, yeah, time. I'd love to come back anytime. Good on you, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Richard. All right, thanks, boys. This is Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf. And, Larry, it's time for a tip from you, which is all to do with slow play. Now, I was just leafing through, as I mentioned earlier on, the latest edition, the June 2018 edition of Inside Golf. And uh, Dr. Stephen Samuels, who's a retired engineer and a very keen golfer as well, and a pretty smart bloke. He's got uh, a PhD, a doctor of engineering, among other things. And he's done uh, a scientific study on slow play. Now, now, the way he did this, uh, it's his personal experience, and also he used information he's been able to collect on men's round times and delays at clubs uh, that he's familiar with. Um, he's got all sorts of data in this article that he's written for Inside Golf, this scientific approach to slow play. The approach that you take, though, with your tip of the week is less than scientific because <laughs> you have no degrees, <laughs> no PhD, you haven't been an engineer for 40 years. But you're still a good player. PGA is the same, isn't it? Is P- PGA, no, not. similar, similar, but not the same. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, my 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 way of speeding up play, Steve. My thoughts on it uh, are very commonsensical uh, in terms of it's 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 what you do before you get to your golf ball that makes the your round quicker or slower. It's it's how you prepare to play the next shot. How you're watching the other player. As soon as they've hit, you should be next to your golf ball. You should have your measurements done with your Bushnell machine your laser rangefinder, and then as soon as that ball's landed and uh, the other player, you should be over your ball and ready to hit. And it's really not that difficult to do. There are times when the player you're playing with might have only hit it you know, half the distance of yours, you, so you can't walk ahead. But you can walk down the side of the fairway and you can you can get a lot closer to your golf ball than, than, than you think. No talking before you hit. Um, just to, After you've hit the shot or walking to, towards the green, have a bit of a yarn then. And, and then back to business, knock the putts in and then go to the next tee. Uh, also, Steve, one of the things that annoys me the most about slow players is when they get to the next tee, the scoring of the card. If, if it's your honour, if, if Steve is hitting off first the next tee, yeah. just go straight up and hit, walk back to your golf bag, get your card out and then write the score on the card while the other people are hitting. Don't put the score on the card. Don't have no one hitting off the tee while you're marking your card and asking what he had and did you get a shot there or two shots there or... That's the, and if you do that, 
18 times, you're going to save, it's, I reckon it's 20 minutes just, just in that one thing there. It's it's a combination of common sense and common courtesy, isn't it? Now, well, in this day and age, well, in any day and age, there are people who just don't possess either of those things, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Some of them play golf. But even if you are one of those people, have a think about it. Maybe we're giving you a bit of food for thought to maybe change your ways. A golf cart, uh, Steve, if you're sharing a golf cart... Don't wait for the other player to hit. Don't sit in the cart waiting for the other player to hit. Get out of the cart, take a couple of clubs you think you might need, walk to your ball, do your, do your measuring, and then when he hits, he gets in the cart and he drives over to you, you hit your shot, you jump straight in the cart. Yeah, he's not going to hit his shot and look at the cart and go, oh, what's happened to... No, you don't take the cart over, you walk over. You yeah, no, the, I know, but he's, with him. he's not going to be... You know, your playing partner's not going to be distressed when he looks at the cart and sees that you're not in there. Do you know what I mean? He's going to Correct. put two and two together yeah, and think, yeah. oh, well, Steve's walked up to, his, to ball. his ball. Yeah. He's chosen his club. Yep. Gee, that's sensible. Saves a bit of time. Speeds up the game. Mm. All these, all they all add up. They're the one percenters, aren't they? If, if the shorter hitter drives the cart, Steve, now that's another point. That's, that makes more sense because the, the longer hitter can walk up to his ball while the shorter hitter is playing his shot, as long as he's not directly in front, of course. Mm-hmm. So shorter hitter drives the cart. Yeah, but don't be one of these people who just does not care. And they are out there, aren't they? They don't seem to think that it matters, that the speed of play. It's a bit like driving behind someone who's doing 50 in an 80 zone, in a one-lane thing, you know, and why? Just move over. Let the person beyond go past. I remember years and years ago at a club I was a member member of, and uh, there was one group... And on the, on the Saturday comp, the uh, the tee off time before them and the tee off time after them were the last two to fill, <laughs> because these blokes notorious. These blokes were notorious. Yeah, when you put four into one group, it, it is a nightmare, isn't it? And yeah. you can, you can't penalise an individual. Oh, sorry, you can't penalise a group. Now, having said that, what you've just said, maybe that's a group you could. But you know, if there's one or two slow players in a group, the other two guys shouldn't be penalised by that. And I, that's happened in the past in my time as well. The whole group's been penalised, which is unfair. You can't do that. Yeah. All right. Keep it. Keep it quick. Keep it brief. Whatever you're doing, keep it brief. Keep it on on uh, focused on common on, sense. Yeah, common sense and common courtesy. Absolutely. And a bit of science in there. If you read what Dr. Stephen Samuels has written, I, I know, know you'll be reading it later I'm, on. I'll it's on the page after your article. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's appropriate, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's a bit pointed. Hey, listen. Spit. It sounds like you've just had a spit, but you're going to have another one. Yeah. Well, just about Erin Hill. Oh, sorry, about Shinnecock Hill, Steve. Yeah. Um, now we 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 saw. Last year, as I said earlier, the Erin Hills, where the US Open was played, the longest longest golf course they've ever played a US Open on. It was about eight kilometres long or something. And and 16 under par won it because the fairways were crazy wide. Um, the the wind didn't get up. The, the, there was rough, but, you know, you, you and I couldn't have couldn't have missed those fairways. And and when you when you give golfers that sort of leeway off the tee, they take an absolute rip at it. So you're going to get the longest hitters in the world winning every year if they do that. Now, I don't believe the longest hitters in the world are always the best players in the world. Um, in fact, it, I think some of them wouldn't, if you played a, a US Open type golf course more often, you would like a proper, you know, traditional type of US Open course, these guys wouldn't win as much. Um, it's when they start fiddling with things. And a lot of it's based on the fact that we're all concerned about how far the ball is going. It's going too far. So they're making courses longer, longer, and now wider which to me is a complete contradiction. It means that the longer hitters now have the advantage. Yeah. If you look over the last 10 years, Steve, of, of, of US Opens, there were, I think, the three shortest courses 
they play, have played over the last 10 years that were the highest scores won. And, and I'm trying to find, I think it was um, Merion. Beautiful golf course. David Graham actually won the US Open at Merion. And Justin Rose won there. And it was less than 7,000 yards long, which is, which is insanely short for a US Open course, even par. So you've got ball technology, you've got club technology giving giving them an advantage potentially, and then you, you've got course layout uh, adding to that advantage. Yes, yes, yeah, unnecessarily. But but the, in an attempt to to try and make the courses longer because the ball goes further, they're making it easier for the longer hitters. Yeah, they it's a complete um, it's it, it's 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 the hundred percent one eighty degrees the wrong direction. I'm thinking. One over par, Justin Rose shot. I've just, I've just checked my notes here. Marion Golf Course. And that golf course is 6,996 yards long. Erin Hills, 7,800 yards long. 16 under one. Don't make it easy. Hello, I say, Stephen. Don't make it easy. Listen to this bloke. He knows what he's talking about. Oh, I should have won so many US Opens <laughs> back in my day. you got to enter. You've got to get into them. You've got yeah, to qualify. Apparently. Yeah, but yeah, I just made it qualifying. Helps. It's I, never too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Can you, get, can you drive a cart? You're not allowed to. No, we'll take. We'll get that MGI. We'll get the MGI. Navigator. Navigator zip. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're ready. we're there. All good. Listen, thank you, Larry. Thank you, Steve. If you want to talk to us, if we, oh, you've had a few people. I know you've had a bit of correspondence about. Yes, um, I'm getting. Accident. I'm getting some feedback. Yes. Uh, you never mention. You say, "Oh, I forgot to mention that bloke's email." Oh, this. Yeah, forgot yeah. Forgot to mention this. Oh, after we've recorded I every know, time. I do it, I, and I did it last time. We the, our last podcast, Steve. We we're talking about alignment. That came from Scott Penn, a, a, a guy who's a member of the golf club. I. My home club. Yeah. He, he listened to the podcast and said, yeah, no, we can talk about alignment. And we did. In fact, you and I had a dreadful argument about it, remember? Well, it was, it's too late now because that was last episode. But thank, <laughs> thanks for your feedback, Scott. Thanks for uh, helping us uh, plan what we're going to have in, uh, in Backspin. Um, and thank you to Larry for mentioning, Scott, uh, the episode after he actually... <laughs> you know what I mean. But if you've got something you'd like us to talk about, maybe it's someone from your club. Maybe you've got a, an absolute champion there or mm. someone who's shot an outstanding score, played a, an outstanding yep. shot, so whatever. Just Get in touch with us. You can do it through. Uh, we've got our Facebook page nearly set up, haven't just we? Just about done, Steve. Yeah. One last thing's got to be done. Yeah, we've just got to airbrush a couple of photos. Yes, that's that'll be the <laughs> yes. Good on you, mate. This has been Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf, Larry. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, listeners. 